Well, you ready to get started today? Yes. Great, let's get going. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews. That's in the back uh, of the uh, Bible, pretty, pretty close to the end. If you're, if you're new uh, to Christ, you're new to Hope Crossings, or you're new to the Bible, uh, it's pretty much in the back. The Bible is made up of different books or different sections and uh, with different names. Hebrews is one of those. It's in the back, chapter 10. The Bible is so powerful in our lives, and it is so unique, uh, different than any other book in the entire world. And we see from the Bible how God begins to reveal himself and to reveal who we are as mankind and men and women. And he begins by just showing us the kind of relationship that he wants with us and the type of relationship that we are to have with one another. We see God just dispilling this plan, just disseminating this plan, even in the very beginning with Adam when he made the world and when God made the world and the planets and the, and the land and the sea and the animals and he made Adam, he came to a conclusion that it is not good that man should be alone. And all the men said, amen, that is right. <laughs> it is not good. And so God made Eve. And we see that relationship between a husband and wife, a man and a woman, that is a, a, a three-way. It's God ministering to both individually and both together. And so we see the connecting point so that God loves us as individuals, but he also loves us within community. We see God again revealing to us his plan for us in the Mosaic law as God reveals the law of Moses or the Mosaic law. Even within the Ten Commandments, we see that there are some commandments that are very, we say, private or individualistic, and others are very uh, corporate or family or societal. Uh, the individual uh, commandments, have no other gods before me, honor the Sabbath day. But yet those societal laws would be do not steal, do not commit adultery, honor your parents. And so we find here that God is saying there's a, a twofold emphasis that he places on us. One is very individualistic, that we have a relationship with God, and yet the other is very corporate or societal or family or church or body. All of those terms that we use to discuss our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. The Bible reveals to us how we are to have a relationship with God and the importance of and how to have a relationship with one another. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Today, let's begin reading there in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse number 19 and read through verse 25. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest or a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your grace over our lives. And that, Father, you are in us as we are followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is within us. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us to know your word, to apply your word to our lives, and to be wonderfully, radically changed by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you know the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian, was a very powerful minister and preacher and uh, writer, and yet he was part of the plan to overthrow Hitler's regime in order to try and save the Jewish people, but also he just looked at it and said, this is not going to end well. This is going to be damaging to everything to have that dictator and this type of power in one person's hand. So in the plan to try and overthrow that, he was captured and he was kept in prison and uh, was kind of uncertain as to what was going to happen. But as the World War II was coming to a conclusion in, in Europe and it was evident that Germany was going to be defeated, it was one of the last things that Hitler did before he took his own life that he commanded Dietrich Bonhoeffer to be executed. He hated Dietrich Bonhoeffer so badly uh, that he would not allow uh, fate, if you will, to control his life. He ordered Dietrich Bonhoeffer's death. But this is one thing that Bonhoeffer wrote, and I want to read it to you. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Bonhoeffer hit the nail on the head. It is by the grace of God that we are able to come together as the body of Christ and gather together and experience the presence of God, not simply individually, but as a corporate body, to where one another, we, sh we share the grace that God has given to us with one another. We share the power that God has given to us, the truth, the wisdom, the love, the insight, the inspiration. We begin to share with one another what God has done in our life and what he is doing in our lives, and that is by the grace of God. And if we're not careful, we'll go along the human route uh, that's recorded throughout all history, and we will take advantage of something that is here, and we will take such advantage of it that we will stop taking advantage of it. 
Human nature says, well, it, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be that way. We'll always have this. We'll always have that. And so why really pay attention to it? It'll always be here. And yet we find if we look at history, it's not always there. But gathering together as the body of Christ is a blessing that we have given to us by the grace of God. And we must, we must, we must cherish it and foster it and hold it in our hands both strongly and gently as something very precious that can be broken. But yes, we must grip it so tightly that we will not let go. And what we're saying is, God, I will not let go of God within my brother and my sister. I will not allow the enemy to rob me of my fellowship with one another. We are called to meet together as the body of Christ. We are called to gather in his name. The gift of gathering is based on a few things, and I just want to share these with you quickly, and then I want us to have a time of praying for one another in just a few moments. The gift of gathering is based on, number one, that we have eternal life. Aren't you glad that God has given us eternal life? It, we, we're reading, we, just wrote, we just read it there in Hebrews chapter 10. We enter into the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Our hearts have been sprinkled with his blood, the precious and powerful blood of Christ. It is the only means by which we have access to God. And then we even find that what he says here is not only are our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, in other words, that blood that covers our sin, that eradicates the things that we've done wrong. But he also says we have a way of entering in, even as it were through the curtain, the body of Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that curtain as Christ hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. And when he gave up his life, it wasn't taken, he gave it up. The Bible says the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That curtain was a very huge, thick curtain that was a separation between what is on the, some of the inner courts and then the very inner court. It is that place where God would dwell with that priest and he would accept the priest's offer of forgiveness for the people. It is that place of the presence of God. It represented that place where God would commune with the high priest. And now that curtain was torn from top to bottom. And it did not let the Spirit of God out. It let you and I in. And it is through that torn body of Christ, that pierced body of the Lord, that we have access to enter into the Holy of Holies, to enter into the presence of God. And so it is by that that we have eternal life. Christ has done the work. We simply said yes. It is because of his death, burial, and resurrection that we have been cleansed and we have access to God. Every person you see is made in the image of God. God said back in the very beginning, let us make man in our image. And so every person we see is a image bearer of God. Even though they're not Christians, they're an image bearer of God. And we must treat them like that with respect. We must treat them with dignity. We must treat them with love to try and bring them in to the family of God. They are made in the image of God. And yet because of sin, the sin that you've committed and I've committed, everyone has committed sin. Because of sin, what is inside of them is not yet been redeemed. They are still living with the death on the inside of them. 
And so we look and we see the image of God, and yet we also look and we see the work of the enemy. But that same work of the enemy that we see in their lives, wasn't it in our life? Don't we remember when we were away from God? When we were, we were like had nothing to do with God? We didn't want anything to do with him because we were, we were trying to hide. We were trying to be like Adam and Eve after they had sinned. We were trying to hide and, and say, well, God, don't look at me. And yet God loved us. And yet he came and paid the price for our, our sin. And when that day came when we finally said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't run anymore. Yes, God, I accept your forgiveness. God said, I've been waiting on this. And he comes and he makes a change in our life immediately. And he also makes change Changes continuously, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to make you born again right now. But just as a baby is born, you're a baby Christian. And now we're going to continue to, to do a work in your life. And aren't you thankful God is continuing to do a work in our life until we're done? Wow. We are not what we used to be, but I'm also looking forward to the fact that I'm not yet what I'm going to be. And neither are you. Jesus said, I'm going to continue to do this work in you until that great day. And so we come before him and we say, God, you did all the work. It is just simply because of what you did on the cross, the blood that you shed, the curtain that was torn, that we have access to you. But the second gift of gathering is that we have purpose. We don't just gather to gather. We don't just gather to get together and say, check, did it, check, got that done. No, we gather with purpose as the body of Christ. We gather together to exalt God. Psalm 34, 3 says, glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I just got to say for a moment right now, I appreciate uh, our worship team, all these guys who are so talented with, with instruments and singing. And uh, we just appreciate the fact that they put time in and they practice and they plan and they pray and they give us a great opportunity to sing and worship God. Would you agree with that? These guys, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for the sound guys and the tech and all of this stuff. It gives us a great experience to exalt the Lord together. And there's something unique about exalting God alone, and there's something unique about exalting Him together. There's a power when we come together. There's a uniqueness when we exalt the Lord together. And that's why we value unity so much at Hope Crossings. Uh, we fight for unity. We, we fight to bring unity. We fight to stay unified. We, we will fight to always be unified because there is power in unity. Not only do we exalt God together, but we repent of our sins together. Yes, individually, but also together. Remember on the, the day of Pentecost, it's recorded in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost is what we would call the birth of the church. That's when the, the church was started, the church age. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples, about 120 of them, in what's called the upper room. You remember what happened? Yeah, they, they spoke in tongues. There was a great, like a sound of a wind, and there was tongues of fire, and it was, it was wild. But remember what the people around them said? They were like, what, what is going on? The people there in Jerusalem were hearing this sound, and they, they saw, and they, it was like, what is happening here? And Peter begins to explain to them. He says, you remember what it says in, in the prophet Joel? That is this, and this is that. This is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel prophesied. 
And when he began to explain it to them with just a few words, they said, okay, what, what do we do now? And what was the first word that came out of his mouth? He said, repent. He said, repent of your sins, every one of you, and you also will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift, the Father, the gift that the Father promised. And so he says that you need to repent. And even as a church body, there are times when we come before God as a church and repent and say, God, we're sorry. We're sorry for the way this nation is heading in the wrong direction. We're sorry for the fact that, that there are a group of people who are not only, they're no longer hiding their sin, they're just bringing it out in plain open sight because they feel emboldened to do that. God, we repent of the fact that homosexuality is, is on the rise and not going down. We repent, God, for a, for a, a, a nation in which they're accepting what is wrong as right and they're saying what is right is wrong. And if we're waiting on other people to repent, we'll be waiting forever. It is the church's responsibility to repent of our own sin, of what we've allowed to happen, but then also to repent on behalf of the nation. You have that ability. You have that responsibility. We have that as a church, that we come before God as image bearers of those who have been born again, of those who he has put his spirit into, those who are priests before God. I'm not talking about a position. We, because we've been born again, every person in here is a priest before God. You do not have to go through a priest to get to God. Christ is the high priest. And now he said, now you have access to God. And we repent on behalf of a nation. We repent on the behalf of a community. We repent on the behalf of, of a community in which there are what is called swingers. Married couples who say, hey, let's trade, let's swap. That is sin. And I believe that if the church, the church big C, the church would call out to God and say, God, please forgive us. Please forgive us of a, as a community. God, please forgive us as a body of Christ not speaking up. God, please forgive us for not displaying righteousness and holiness and compelling people to come into the family of God. Please forgive us, God, for allowing things to happen. I believe God hears those prayers. I believe God will say, uh, I hear you, and I'm going to bring a radical change to your community. We see it throughout biblical history. We see it throughout non-biblical history. When the people who worship God and serve the Lord repent and come clean and repent on behalf of a community or a nation, God pays attention to that, and he brings a result. We also, together, give and receive forgiveness Matthew chapter 6, 14, verse 14, Jesus gives us that Lord's Prayer. And one of the things he talks about is forgive as you've been forgiven. And he concludes it. He says, listen, as you forgive, you will be forgiven. As you forgive, you will be forgiven. But he also says, if you don't forgive, your forgiveness will be withheld. And then, of course, then we love as Christ loved. We gather together with purpose that we love. In John uh, chapter number uh, 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, 
and that is to love one another. We gather together with purpose because we are learning how to be ambassadors for Christ. We are learning how to be overcomers, and we are bold. The Bible tells us God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-discipline. It says, that's the spirit that I've given you. I've not given you timidity. I've not given you this hide and wait and see. I've not given you this attitude that, oh, well, we just got to hang on to the Lord until he comes back. He said, I've given you power. I've given you authority. I've given you a spirit that is more powerful than sin, more powerful than anger, more powerful than any obstacle that Satan will put in your way. I've given you the power to be overcomers. And we incorporate that together within our fellowship and we walk out of a building like this filled with the power of God because his spirit emboldens us. You will find your purpose when you fully surrender your life to Christ and submit to the Holy Spirit as he leads you. Let me read that again. You will find your purpose when you fully surrender your life to Christ. Surrender. That's what he's called us to do. To come before him and say, yeah, I've sinned. I can't do it. I can't enter into eternal life by myself. I don't have the goods. Lord, I surrender to your plan, and that is Christ. But then from that day forward, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God is within us. As we accept Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God lives within us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. But then the Holy Spirit begins to prompt us and lead us. He might begin with an issue of sin. He might, he might begin to prompt us to say, you know what, that thing you've been doing? I've forgiven you. You're forgiven. But you keep doing it. And we're going to have to work on that. I want you to stop doing that. See, that's when submission comes in. The purpose of our life is to surrender and to submit. And when we begin to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, what we find is twofold. Number one, yes, we begin to say no to the sin that we used to enjoy. And now we're saying yes to a God who gives us eternal life. We say yes to a God that gives us purpose. We say yes to a God that gives us forgiveness. We're saying yes to the one who says, I've got a plan for your life that will blow your mind. I've got a plan for you that is going to be so far exceeding anything you could ever dream or imagine. And he says to us in his word, he says, I've got a plan for you that you're going to lay your hands on a sick person and they're going to get better. I'm going to give you a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge that you're going to speak to somebody and it's going to blow them away because you're going to reveal that they have been doing something and they're the only ones that know that they've been doing it. Except the Spirit of God just told you. And it's not condemning. It's not putting down. It's lifting them up. God's going to give you a word that, hey, God's going to heal you. God's going to redeem you. God's going to mend a relationship. And God gives you that word because you're submitted to the Holy Spirit. We meet together with a purpose. But nextly, we meet in a connected family. We are connected with a family. If I were to ask you, how many of you today here have been born again? I believe the vast majority would say, yes, I've been born again. And we look at that as very individualistic. I've been born again, and we say God is our Father. But if we have been born again, and God is our Father, 
Well, whether you like it or not, we're related. So many things I'm tempted to say right now. We are related. We all have that uncle, right? Christmas, you know, or it's an aunt or somebody. And if you, I don't, I don't have an uncle like that, then you're probably the uncle. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I'm not sure. That's the joke. We're born again, but into what? We're born into a family. Therefore, yes, God is our father. That the disconnect with Adam and Eve now has been reconnected through Christ. And now we're born into a family. And that family means we're together, brothers and sisters. Some are the oldest. Some are blessed to be the youngest. And some are in the middle. We pray for you. (laughs) Some are mature. And some are immature. Because they've been serving God longer. And and longer. Some not. Some have just started. And some are right in that middle stage. But we're a family. We come together as Christians. It is both personal but not individualistic. Becoming a Christian is personal. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christians or your grandparents are Christians. You become a Christian because you have a personal relationship with Christ that immediately becomes a family. We are connected in a family. The gift that we have of gathering is that we are not individualistic. We are individuals in a family. So we look at our Christianity not as individualistic. Well, this is what I do. Well, yeah, this is what I do, but it's in connection with the whole body. And so every gift, every talent, everything that we have, we use for the betterment of the body. There is no substitute for a private encounter with God in your prayer closet. That's why Jesus said when you pray, go into that closet, that closed-in space, wherever that space is where it's you and God. Just you and God. And aren't you thankful that God knows your language? You can say things to God. You, you never pray that prayer publicly, right? You know? I'm not talking about confessing anything bad. I'm just saying you have a language God knows. You, you can just talk to him like, like he's God. <laughs> Imagine that. There's no substitute for that. But there's also no substitute for an encounter with God in the family. You you can't substitute that. There's no replacement. So we come to God both privately but also within the context of family. We do that with water baptism where we come before the body of Christ and we say, hey, I want everybody to know I'm in. I'm in all the way. I've been born again. They're going to dunk me in the water. I'm in. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. 
There's, there's a privateness and a corporateness or a publicness, a familyness. We are saved into a community called family, making our identity visible. We are visible to this community because we're a family. I want to read uh, one more quote from Bonhoeffer. Mickey, if you'd come up, please. And, and then we're going to have a time of pray where we pray for one another. Okay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said this. He said, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. Their fellowship is founded solely upon Jesus Christ. We in the body of Christ need one another. That's why we're trying to make more space for more people to come into the body of Christ because we need one another. In two weeks, we're moving to two services for that very reason because we're opening up the door to say we want to create more space for more people because we need one another. There are times when, when, when you're going to be down and you're going to be up and we, we mix together and those who are up bring up those who are down and next week it could be reversed and somebody comes in discouraged and somebody else is really excited and we, and we come together and we meet and we say we're a part of the family. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm down today. I need somebody to bring me up. God, I'm really excited. Lord, I need to, I need to help somebody. That's the body of Christ. The Bible says with the same comfort that you have received, comfort someone else. It says, as you have received, give. And we're just trying to make more space for that to happen. We encounter God together, and there's no substitute for that. As the body of Christ, we come together. Let's pray for a moment, all right? Uh, Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in the body of Christ, not only Hope Crossings, Lord, but in the church, Big C. We thank you for what's happening in the universities. We thank you, God, for what is happening in the local schools, even our very own local schools, especially through FCA. Thank you, God, for what is happening. Thank you, Lord, that the seeds have been sown and now they're being watered and now the harvest is coming in, Lord. Thank you. And Lord, we pray for the churches all across our region. We pray for an outpouring of your spirit, the pastors and elders and deacons and staff and, and, and everyone who ministers to children and youth, God, they'd just be empowered with your spirit. Lord, we pray for this, this station, this place, Hope Crossings. Lord, we would recognize we're a part of a body and that is precious, it's powerful, and it's to be guarded. Thank you, Lord, for what you're gonna do even in these next few moments, Lord, as we encounter.